It is my delight to welcome our speaker for this morning, who is the lovely Taryn. And uh, I'm going to pray for her and then she'll begin. We thank you, Lord, for your word. That in this crazy world where so much is changing, your word hasn't changed at all. It's still true. It still has power. And so we submit ourselves again to your word. And we pray that by your spirit and through Taryn's words, you would encourage our hearts and challenge us, shape us in whatever way you want. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today. I want to start with asking you a question. What makes you happy? Is it as simple as a really great cup of coffee? Or maybe it's somebody making you a cup of tea. Or maybe it's a long, hot soak in the bath. Maybe it's getting out in nature, going for a walk or a cycle or a run or paddle boarding maybe. Perhaps it's creating, creating music, creating with your hands, um, baking, cooking. Is it a good book? Or maybe it's chocolate. Chocolate's a good one, isn't it? Perhaps it's, uh, for me anyway, it's kettle chips. I love kettle chips. These are all little things that make us happy. But what if I said that giving leads to happiness? Giving away our money, giving away our stuff, doesn't just lead to happiness, but it actually leads to joy. Think about it for a moment. Think about some of the most generous people you know. Do you know any generous people who are unhappy? Think about it. Think about someone who's a real giver and then really cross. I I think you'll struggle to find someone like that because generous people are the happiest people because they don't feel the need to hold on to what they have. Instead, there is this, like, this deep joy and understanding that come what may, God is going to take care of me. God is going to look after me. And that is the joy that oozes from a generous person. And today we're going to look at somebody whose life was turned upside down and inside out from their encounter with Jesus. His experience of Jesus was so profoundly life-shaping that it thrust him into joy and freedom and generosity that he couldn't contain, he couldn't deny. He tasted the delights of Jesus. And if you like, the Bible says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And our man today, he didn't just know of the goodness of God, but he tasted the goodness of Jesus, of his kindness and of his love and of his power. And so the question that we are going to ask ourselves today is, when it comes to generosity, am I actually tasting of the good things of God in my life right now? Or do I just have the knowledge of his goodness? You see, no one can make us eat and taste of the good things of Jesus. Only you can do that. Only I can take responsibility for that. 
A delicious meal is only delicious once that meal has been prepared and then eaten. It's not until we've eaten that meal can we fully appreciate it, can we fully enjoy it and savour it and relish it. And perhaps maybe for some of you who are watching today, all you've done is you've read the recipe. You like what you read, but you've never tried it. You've never actually tasted the meal. You've never tasted or experienced the delights of Jesus, of his peace, of his love, of his kindness, of his um, healing power. Maybe you've been reading the menu a long time. This is the menu, by the way. Maybe you've been reading it a long time, but you've never actually tasted it. This isn't something that anyone else can do for you. Only you can do it. And I just want to give you a heads up this morning that towards um, the end of my talk, I do want to give an opportunity if there is anyone who is watching who wants to say to the Lord, of um, he who could, the maker of heaven and earth, yes, I want to invite you to come and live, to come and dwell, to come and be Lord and Savior of my life. I want to taste and experience your goodness today. And so um, I'm just going to give you a heads up and then I'm going to let you know when that moment is going to come so you can think about that. For others of us, when it comes to giving away our money, we do it because we know it's a good thing to do. After all, the Bible speaks about money and possessions over 800 times. And in fact, Jesus speaks more about money than he does about prayer and faith. Matthew 6 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe for some of us watching today, we don't give and there'll be a whole bunch of reasons why we're not doing that right now. Perhaps you've looked at the recipe, you've seen all that is required in making that meal. Maybe you've even seen the photo and you take a look at, it, look at it and you see the completed meal and you think, oh, I love the look of that, but I'm just not sure I can afford it right now. Or maybe you're looking at the recipe and you, again, you're looking at the photo and you see the photo of the completed meal and you think, mm, I'm not sure that's for me. I don't really know if I fancy that. Or maybe, again, you're looking at the recipe, you're looking at this gorgeous meal and you're thinking, one day, one day I'm going to get around to making that meal because it looks delicious and I know I'm going to love it. As a church, we've been asking the question, what does it look like for us to mature in our relationship with Jesus? What does it mean for us to mature and grow in our relationship with God? 
And now let's just be clear. Maturity is nothing to do with how long we've been a Christian for. Because you could be a Christian for a really, really long time, maybe the whole of your life, and not bear the level of maturity that potentially somebody who is new into the faith is producing. Being a Christian a long time does not equal maturity. Maturity is formed in the hidden place, in the secret place. It comes from a cultivation of our own personal relationship with Jesus that we take full responsibility for, where we put our roots down deeper and deeper and deeper. And we want to see those roots grow and flourish and mature as we become more and more like Jesus. A mature Christian is a generous Christian. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus and he uses money as a tool, really, to show, really reveal, I guess, our intentions and our true priorities and our hearts. If you think about it, our bank statements, they don't lie, do they? They tell us what is really important to us, what we're spending our money on. And because Jesus cares so much about what we do with the money that he's entrusted to us, that today we are going to open up God's word and we are going to look at our own personal giving and generosity through the story of Zacchaeus. So if you've got a Bible with you today, why don't you grab it now or swipe to Luke 19 and we're going to read verses 1 to 10. Okay. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now for some of us, this story is very familiar. Maybe we've heard this story as a child growing up. But just because it's familiar, it doesn't mean it's not powerful. And as I was preparing this talk today, I just felt the Lord um, give me maybe three key principles that he, that he wants us to embrace as a church family and as individuals today. If you like, these are the three key principles that go into the making of the meal. But here's where the fun begins. This is where once the meal is made, we, we get to taste it. We get to enjoy it. We get to uh, delight in it. Delighting in the goodness of God. And... Um, enjoying uh, a new sense of all that he is bringing to us as we start to let go of maybe our grippy hands over money. 
and we start to let go and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to use the resources he has given us for his kingdom. We're tasting and we're seeing that the Lord is good. So key principle number one, mature generosity seeks out a change of perspective. Verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a, syc a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus, he's limited. He's limited in a couple of ways. Firstly, he's a chief tax collector, which means that he's basically despised by the Jews because they were seen as aiding and abetting the enemy, the Roman Empire. Also, they were known for their dodgy dealings. You know, they would be skimming off the profits and uh, just really kind of very dodgy dealings that Zacchaeus would have been involved in. Also, we know that Zacchaeus is limited because the Bible tells us he's short in stature. He can't see beyond the crowd that is in front of him. But despite all of this, I love what it says in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted a clear view of Jesus. But he knew that he wasn't going to get that from standing where he was. So he changed his viewpoint. He switched his perspective and he climbed a tree that enabled him to see when Jesus was coming his way. He had a clear view of the Son of God walking towards him. And the truth is, church, we can't taste and see anything if, um, if, if we're lost in the crowd. You know, if with all its noise and jostling and jolting, of course it's going to be difficult to see Jesus. Zacchaeus knew he was being hindered by his circumstances, the crowd that was surrounding him. He could so easily have stayed where he was, stayed on the ground, in the crowd, but he knew he needed to see Jesus. He knew that he needed to change his viewpoint, what he was focusing on. He knew he needed to move from all the things that were getting in his way, all the things that were limiting him. What is limiting our view of Jesus today? What is stopping us from seeing Jesus? Maybe it's your business. Your business has been struggling, particularly over this last year. And it's just been such a pressure, such a weight for you to carry. Maybe you've lost your job. And the heartbreak and the pain and the worry and the confusion over that has just been all you can focus on, all you can see. Or maybe you have the, the, there's this possibility that you might be facing redundancy and it's consuming you, it's exhausting and it's such a heavy weight. Perhaps it's accumulating debt. This pressure that is just keeping you up at night, you're not able to sleep properly. Or maybe it's lack of contentment always kind of striving, needing the next thing. 
You know, we can't underestimate the power of the culture that we're in that is constantly bombarding us from every direction, basically telling us that we need to have a whole bunch of new things and gadgets and clothes in our life in order to fulfill and find happiness. We can't underestimate that. You know that keeping up with the Joneses is really the way to live your life. But you see, when we lift our eyes, when we remove ourselves from the noise and the throng and the rabble of the crowd, the overbearing weight and all of the things that we are focusing on, when we lift our eyes, when we climb a tree, things start to change. What was in sharp focus becomes a blur. And what was a blur comes into sharp focus. We see Jesus and he changes everything. And not only that, but he sees us and he walks towards us and he calls us by name. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Change your perspective. Find Jesus. Look to Jesus. Climb a tree. Climb a tree. Second principle, number two. Mature generosity demonstrates surrender. Verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So we came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I grew up in a home where politeness was a pretty high value for my family. So from an early age, I was taught the magic words of please and thank you. And I tried to use those as best I could growing up. I tried to be polite at the dinner table, not burping and, um, you know, put my knife and fork in a nice straight line when, once I'd finished my meal on my plate and all of that kind of thing. But I'm pretty sure in my um, politeness education. Somewhere along the line, I learned that it was really impolite to invite yourself round to someone else's house. You know, you could invite somebody to come to your house. You could even hint, or maybe not so subtly hint, that you'd really like to go and play at your friend's house or even have a sleepover. But there was just no way that you could say, hey, why don't I come round to your house today and you can cook me dinner? There's just no way that that was a polite thing to do where I grew up in Devon. I'm pretty sure it's not that dumb thing to do in Scotland either. And I'm pretty sure Jericho at the time, it wasn't the dumb thing to be done either. But here we see Jesus. And Jesus is not interested in being polite, in following the social etiquette. In fact, we see Jesus, he doesn't think twice about inviting himself over to Zacchaeus's house. And I have to say, I've pondered on this a great deal as I've been preparing this talk. I've been thinking, why would Jesus do that? What is he intentionally trying to um, do in this moment? And I actually think that there are two things that are going on right now. I think, firstly, Jesus is making a public declaration. You see, staying in someone's house in Jesus's time, when it meant way more than friendship. It symbolized acceptance. 
And there is Jesus in front of this whole crowd who are very grumpy and who really don't like Zacchaeus. And he's saying, really publicly, I accept you, Zacchaeus. Even though you're a thief, even though you've, you've taken from people, even though you adore and love money so much, I accept you. The guy that was unaccepted, Jesus accepted. I love that about him. Secondly, Jesus is switching the tables. By inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, Jesus becomes the host and Zacchaeus becomes the guest. Think about it for a moment. Our homes are the setting for our lives, aren't they? They are the place where we are our most private and also our most truest self. The place where everything we own is housed. Everything that we have is in our homes. When something hits home, it hits into the very heart of who we are. And by Jesus inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home, he's saying to him, I, I don't just want to be a nice, polite guest in your home. No, I want to come and I want to take up residence in every single room of your house. Every aspect of your life, I want to be Lord and host over, including your money. Our eldest son is um, learning to drive at the moment. And because of lockdown, he hasn't been having any driving lessons. And so Chuck has been taking him out. Uh, Chuck has a lot to say on the subject, some good, some not so positive. But the one thing that he said that really struck me, he said to me, Taryn, every single time I go to get in the car, I have to go round and sit in the passenger seat. I have to forfeit the brakes, the steering wheel, the indicator, the mirrors, everything. I have to just be a passenger. I have to sit there and surrender all control. Are we surrendering all, our, all the control to Jesus? Are we surrendering? Are we giving him full control of our money, of our bank statements, of our wallets, of our possessions? For so many of us, we, um, we probably struggle to align ourselves with Jesus' request to come down from the tree because it's, it's um, so often played out, that struggle when it comes to our finances. It is where the real battle begins. And I'm sure that sitting in that tree, looking down on Jesus, Zacchaeus would have felt the wrestle. He would have felt that tug as Jesus presents him with a choice to remain in the tree, to stay as he is with all that he has, with all that he's accumulated, with all his wealth, or to come down from that tree and to respond to Jesus's invitation knowing that as he responds to Jesus, as he climbs down from that tree, he's laying down. He is surrendering all that he has as he yields himself to Jesus, as he steps into Jesus's new invitation for his life. A place not of control or gain or self-reliance, 
but a place of surrender, of trust, where he can relinquish all that he has as he allows Jesus to come and take up residence as host, not just in his own heart, but in his pocket. Key principle number three, mature generosity leads to action. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. I'm known by my parents. I've got a nickname. I'm called Whip It Quick. True story. And uh, the reason I'm called Whip It Quick is my parents are incredibly messy and I am very tidy. And so particularly when they come and stay and I'll be handing them a cup of coffee or a slice of cake or something, there's always this joke of, we better quickly drink it or eat it. You can't leave it on the side somewhere because Taryn will have whipped it away. I think in this moment, Zacchaeus is being a little bit of a whip it quick. Not in terms of cutlery and dishes and all that kind of thing, but in terms of his wallet, his money. Notice this, immediately he encounters Jesus. Not only is his life transformed, but so is his wallet. Despite the fact he's just met Jesus, he's demonstrating a level of maturity that some Christians never grasp, which is that our response to Jesus has to directly impact our finances. It has to. That is what mature generosity looks like. Martin Luther was famously quoted as saying this. People go through three conversions. The conversion of their head, their heart, and their pocketbook. And that's what's happening here with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he's got a healthy income. Many of you watching today, you've got that healthy income too. And he chose to give away. He chose to sacrifice a lot of his money. But kingdom generosity is for everyone. It's for everyone, church, not just for those who have money, because it's about it's because it's not about, sorry, equal amounts. It's not about that. It's about equal sacrifice. If you jump just a couple of chapters um, to Luke 21, we find Jesus again. And there he is. He's speaking about money again. And it says this, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people give, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. They both gave. They both put their convictions into action. One had money, one was poor, but they both gave from a sacrificial standpoint. And Jesus loved it. He loved both. He delighted in the poor widow and he delighted in Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus, he's not thinking about his money. He's looking at Jesus. And he's thinking, I can't believe that you want to come to my house. I can't believe it. You see, when we 
fully understand who Jesus is, when we've tasted, when we've experienced that the one that created heaven and earth, who spoke light, is standing in our house. And not only that, but in a short while, he's going to go to the cross to die for me. To, take, to suffer an excruciating death so you can have relationship with me because you love me and you want me. And then you talk about money. I don't want the money. I, I lay it all down. I leave it at your feet, Jesus. I surrender it all. After all, it wasn't mine in the first place. Use it however which way you will. Build your kingdom through the little or the lot that I have. It's all yours. I surrender it to you. I'm trusting you. I'm following you. I'm surrendering it. I'm releasing it into your kingdom. And as I do that, I am tasting and I am seeing that you are indeed good. Why don't we pray?